Meg Burridge here, your host of the Kajabiverse podcast and also a Kajabi coach and launch strategist who combines her love of all things Kajabi and digital marketing with family and adventure. I'm an Aussie mum to three young kids, married to a Dutchman and currently living on Anguilla in the Caribbean. I leap out of bed every morning to help others achieve the online success, freedom and flexibility that I am so grateful to have in my own life. In this podcast, we look deep beneath the surface at how some of the most successful Kajabi heroes, the superheroes, if you will, are generating six and seven figures annually and how their strategies can be applied within your online business. This is the Kajabiverse podcast. You're listening to the Kajabiverse podcast and today's episode is all about the very popular and widely taught launch strategy of live webinars. Now webinars are an excellent strategy if you're working with time poor audiences and they're great for someone who can captivate an audience. They also typically don't take too long to put together. Joining us in today's episode to tell us all about how he uses live webinars and also evergreen webinars outside of launch time is someone who has taught thousands of students and was recognized as Shopify's top education partner for 2021. He uses webinar launching as a preferred model of enrolling South African entrepreneurs into his e-commerce membership, e-commerce next level. And he achieves an average 7.1% conversion on his webinar funnel. So let's welcome to the show the amazing Warwick Kearns from Insaka. Well, hello, Warwick, and a big welcome to the Kajabiverse podcast. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. Thanks so much for having me. Really happy to be here. Oh, now a bit of an accent there. Where are you joining us from? Down at the bottom tip of Africa in South Africa. South Africa, I've been there. I have been there. It was years ago now, but it, it is a beautiful part of the world. I'm actually coming again. You know Gail Starr. Yes. I'm coming in June. She's taking me on some 80-kilometre coastal walk. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what I've signed myself up for, Warwick. I said, oh, yeah, it sounded like a good idea at the time. Now I'm starting to feel a bit nervous about this. Well, there's so many beautiful parts of this country. You know, those walks along the coastline where you just won't see any form of civilization for days and days. It's beautiful. And I'm pleased that doing this kind of work has allowed me to live in a beautiful place too. So I live in the bush or where we maybe what would make more sense is where people go on safari so i live in a in a wildlife area with giraffe and zebra around the house and eagles flying above and it's really quite a beautiful place how amazing and tell me how long have you been doing this online business stuff well e-commerce is my game which uh, we'll touch on a little bit later but uh, i started selling online in 2008 and i've been coaching online since 2017 Okay, you started it for yourself, you had big success, and then you thought, I'm going to go and turn everything I've learned into an online program. Yeah, I guess, you know, that's where I saw the need was because when I started selling online in 2008, I had certain challenges, like how to figure out how to take payments online, how to do my deliveries, how to build a website, and all the things that I had to struggle to overcome, well, I had to do that on my own because there was no community training, support, gurus of any sort. And fast forward to years later when I built a very successful e-commerce business, one of the best in the country. And when I was exiting that business and uh, I was up for sale and it was getting a bit of press and people were hearing about it and people were asking me like questions. And they were asking me questions which I had to answer for myself many years before. And I realized that the training, the community, the mentorship and the support was still not around. So people were still having to overcome the same challenges which I had to almost a decade earlier And so that's where I saw the absolute need to start creating online training and to try and download my brain into online training programs so that people can skip through all the learning curve and try and just get to the fun part to get success for themselves with online selling. And there are certain challenges that come into doing this sort of work in South Africa. You know, I see them over in the Kajabi group, people posting things about taking payments and payment gateways and things now. With your programs, are you catering pretty much exclusively to the South African market? Pretty much. You know, with e-commerce, a lot of training can cross borders. But uh, as the Americans say, the riches are in the niches. And I suppose that speaks to offering more value to people when they have a very specific challenge. And if somebody in South Africa were to watch a training program from an e-commerce guru anywhere else in the world, they would be talking about using PayPal for payments and using your local postal service for deliveries. And that sounds normal if you're not in, in Africa. 
but PayPal doesn't really work here for, for uh, first thing. And secondly, if you send something by post, it's not even going to get picked up. Certainly not going to be delivered. Post office barely even exists. It doesn't work. And so we have to find other ways. And so our challenges are very specific. And that's why my training is very much focused on our industry, uh, our challenges. And that's why I can help and have such a big impact with my followers and my students. In your business, I'm guessing you started with coaching like or, or group or courses before you now, I know you now have a membership. Was that like an evolution? Yeah. So it started with a course where I wanted to teach people how to, they can actually build their own online e-commerce business. And it's not as hard and as scary as people think. So that was my first course, which was $1,000. I've got to translate everything from my currency, mm-hmm. South African rands into dollars for this conversation. <laughs> And that course was very successful and we helped thousands of people to do it and it was great. And what later on happened is that graduates of my program, together with other people on the internet, were coming to me saying, well, I don't need that. I've already got an online business. Can you help me to improve it? I was like, yeah, I can. And that led me to actually create a membership specifically catering for people who are already selling online, who want to optimize their site, learn about digital marketing, put the systems and processes in place to just make it work easily. And that's how my membership really came about. Ah, got it. And the strategy, you know, the launch strategy that we're talking about today is live webinars. And I know you also use evergreen webinars in your business, but how did you land on webinars in general as a great funnel strategy for getting people into your membership? Well, I tried a couple of different ways and webinars actually seemed a little bit easier for me than other strategies. I feel like it's a good place to start because it's not too intimidating and you can run it with relatively less involvement up front in terms of building a massive, massive launch around it. And it allows you a bit of a a sandpit to test different ideas. So my intention was to try the webinar and to try different techniques in terms of how I deliver, how I pitch, how I present myself and my content. And so I tried lots and lots of different iterations with the idea of evolving it into a more, I could say, sophisticated launching model, which may just be another word for saying it's more complicated as a launch model. But webinars work for me, at least it works really well. And so while it's still converting at crazy numbers, I'm happy to stick with it. And if that ever changes, then I'll look at changing it. But if it isn't broken, then don't fix it, I guess. And this is not broken. It certainly works very, very well for us. Absolutely. Um, Now, I know a lot of people out there because, you know, webinars is a strategy that's taught quite a lot, you know, programs like DCA, BBD, you know, all the the gurus telling us that webinars are the way to go. But there are so many people who shy away from webinars because they're just petrified of showing up live on camera and having tech disasters and stumbling over their words. And, you know, they want to script everything out because they're afraid of it not being flawless. What, what words of wisdom do you have to share with those people who are petrified of it not being perfect? Well, the first thing I'd say is that I think no matter where you are on your business and your experience levels, everybody still has a bit of nerves when you are just about to click the live button. And so that doesn't go away, but you do get more used to it. And you can do a few things to kind of just get more comfortable with it. And I suppose a couple of things that have really just helped me to ease those anxieties is really having done it many times. So that can only come with a bit of experience. Another thing that really works for me is knowing my content. And I suppose that that's really important is when you are confident in your delivery of your content, then it's just so much easier to speak about. And that ease comes across as just being easier to listen to. And if you're nervous, people can hear it. So you really want to try and kind of do it enough times that you can be relaxed. The other thing is that, as you might pick up in this interview, is that my style is very relaxed. And so if I stumble at my words or if I kind of lose my track or or go off on a tangent and tell a story about my dog or something, then people tend to like that. And they think it's likable and they think it's kind of relatable. And so I actually do that intentionally. I've actually had feedback from people saying that my presentations are personable and that they feel like they're just listening to a friend. And that is actually part of my strategy, if I want to call it that. Like I do it on purpose. I don't want it to be too formal. I want it to be quite relaxed. Any words of advice to people who are like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Warwick, but I'm still going to jump straight to an evergreen webinar and just skip that whole live anxiety thing? Yeah, you could do that, but I would say that that's a mistake. And the reason I would say that is because creating and launching an evergreen is a lot of work to begin with. So you're going to put in a lot of hard yards before that is ready to deliver. And uh, doing it live can actually be a bit easier. But you'll find that sometimes you need to test out your pitch and try it in different ways 
So that's just like I had to. I needed to try different pitches and try different offers and see what works and what doesn't work. And again, to get confident with my scripts and how I want to deliver it. And if you haven't done that a couple of times, then going straight to an evergreen means that you might be able to record something that you're happy with on that day. Like you, you finish a recording and maybe you've done it a couple of times and you say, okay, I'm done. Like that was good enough. Maybe not perfect, but it was good enough and I'm going to go live with it. But come a couple of weeks later, you're probably going to look back at that and say, actually, I'm not happy with it. Let's re-record. And then you're going to re-record a couple of times. So I find doing the live actually is like the practice run for going evergreen. And then in a completely vice versa way, we actually use the evergreen as a test to be able to see what's working in terms of our email copy that we send out around the, the webinar. And we also try different Facebook ads and Instagram ads and all the ads that we're running. So then we're using that as a testing ground to bring back into our live. So we are using them in conjunction. I needed to practice in term before I was confident to do an evergreen. But now we can use the evergreen as a testing ground to see what's actually going to work for our live when we do it uh, live later on. Oh, got it. And, you know, as far as the actual structure of that webinar goes, for those people who are working to a script, they think, oh, there's no way I can do a webinar without a script in front of me. What's your feeling about having to be on camera? You know, could you just do slide share and talk over the top of it without your face there, in which case you could be referring to your notes and no one would know? Yes. So for me, my bullet points are my notes. I personally find that if I am trying to read a script, then it very much comes across that I'm reading a script. And it's kind of like when you said those cringeworthy speeches in school when you were a kid and everybody knew that you were reading your piece of paper. So now I find it easier just to have bullet points on my slides. And those bullet points do guide my conversation. I do have speaker notes also if I want to hit particular points or if I want to reference particular statistics. But those speaker notes are really just to supplement the bullet points and the bullet points really just guide my conversation and of course I do practice a bunch of times before doing a live in particular so that I know exactly what bullet points going to come up next and where I want to be hitting a point so that again I can be more confident when I'm delivering it so that's one thing but I also find that having your camera on keeps people's attention a bit longer as they feel a bit more connected to you and having the face also keeps people's attention. Like they're, they're watching the face more often than they're watching my slides. So unless if you have a very engaging slideshow where it's changing every few seconds, then I personally prefer to have my camera on the whole time. And a little tip that I wanted to share is like something that worked well for me in terms of becoming really comfortable with having my camera on is having practiced loads and loads and loads. So what I did five years ago, I made a commitment and in the banner image of my Facebook page, it says every 10 a.m. Thursday, Warwick is live. And every Thursday, 10 a.m., I am live. And I need to deliver a piece of content. So it makes me practice my content and find new content all the time. But it also helps me to become very comfortable with being live on camera. Most Thursdays at quarter to 10, I'm like, what am I going to speak about? And now I've got to the point where I can very quickly kind of take an idea in my head and ramble off into a half hour session. But pushing the live button on my camera is not intimidating anymore. And that is only after having done it time and time again. So for me, just setting that commitment commitment publicly saying every Thursday at 10 o'clock I am live, it made me do it. And doing it consistently every single week, at least once a week, helped me to become super, super comfortable with it. Did you find that the first time you did it and maybe for the first few times no one was watching? Like how have those statistics or numbers changed over time? Do people tune in now for your Thursday lives? Yes. Well, yes and no. So it started off with nobody watching at all, which was fine because I actually liked that. And if it was really horrible, I could delete it afterwards. Then I found that actually we got to a point where there were thousands of people tuning in every single Thursday at 10 o'clock. And now Facebook's algorithm, you know, you know all about it. Um, it doesn't really show to anybody. So our engagement has dropped substantially. So I still do it just to kind of keep myself out there because I know that it forces me to keep upping my game in terms of creating fresh content and also just putting myself out there. But we find that the reach is actually way less. So now we're looking at YouTube lives and doing it on different platforms or streaming on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube or three different cameras. And that's how we can get to more people in, in one particular live session. If you were to sit down, like if I was to ask you to start a webinar from scratch, the actual structuring and putting together of a webinar, Warwick, 
in your mind, what do you jump to as like the logical structure for a webinar as far as duration, talking about yourself? Some people seem to go on and on about themselves for like 20 minutes at the beginning and, you know, have these two hour long presentations with a ginormous pitch at the end. How do you go about it? Yeah, so I think that that's a mistake. You've seen it and I've seen it where somebody spends so much time talking about themselves, building credibility. And by the time they finish doing that, somebody's just bored and checked out because they came there to learn and they're not learning. So we try and do a lot of credibility building in the registration page and in the email sequence leading up to it. So that when I go live, I can just hit a few bullet points like my key things like Shopify's number one education partner for 2021, multiple award-winning entrepreneur for South Africa, and just hit home on some very important credibility factors and then go into the training. So my structure will generally be very little credibility building in the webinar. But the education is very important because that's what people came there for. And if you're not delivering education, they're not going to buy from you. So I'll push that to about 45 minutes and then do a very subtle transition into the pitch. And my pitch, I'll try and finish the pitch with the price and the offer with the call to action and link within another 30 minutes. So after an hour 15, done and dusted. Now I'm sending people to the sales page, but that's where Q&A comes in. So now Q&A in terms of timeline, like how long am I going to be online? My answer to that is as long as possible, because the more questions I can answer, the more objections I can bust. And it's proven in our data time and time again, like sometimes Q&A will last an hour and a half, two hours, and I'm exhausted and I'm thirsty and my eyes are red by the end of it. But the people who stay on for another two hours listening to me answer questions and just prove that I am indeed an expert, those ones are so hot and they are so likely to buy. We segment them, the people who stay on right to the last 10% of the session, and we send them special offers and we send them extra because we know that they are they are keen. For me, you know, 45 minutes in credibility building with education, after 45 minutes transition into the offer, after 30 minutes of that, then it's just a Q&A for as long as I possibly can keep people online. And have you got any tips and tricks around actually keeping people on to the end? Because I know that you've seen as many disastrous webinars as I have where the delivery is terrible and people jump off before the presenter even gets to the pitch. So what sort of carrots do you dangle to entice people to stay on to the end? Yeah, okay. So firstly, I I don't want it to be a surprise that I'm making an offer. So I tell them like in the first five minutes, I tell them something along the lines of like, you're going to learn a lot here. And at the end, I'm going to give you an opportunity to work with me more. And when you hear what I'm going to share with you in the training portion, you're going to want to work with me. So I'm already prefacing the fact that there will be an offer so that people don't think it's weird or icky if I start to pitch them at the end. So that's something that we do right up front. Right in the beginning, I also tease bonuses and hooks as to why they should stay in the end. So we offer like particular bonuses, which are only available for people who stay to the end. And the end for me is the, the pitch. And we put those offers on the sales page right at the bottom so that they have to read the whole thing. So that's a nice way to get people to click the call to action and get to the bottom of the sales page. So that works well for us. And then also just like really upfront, just to talk about case studies and training and to mention it throughout the fact to tease the offer when I'm in the training stage of the webinar. So what I'll do is I'll mention particular case studies of students of ours that have done really well. So if I'm talking about conversion rate optimization, for instance, then I'll reference one of our students who was able to increase their conversion rate from 0.5% to 1%. So they doubled their sales. Then they got up from 1% to 3%. They quadrupled their sales from the beginning. And they were using the tips I have given to you now in the training, when I'm doing the training, and so much more that I do offer in my main premium program. So I'm seeding the idea that I am going to make an offer and then I'm teasing it throughout so that hopefully people are thinking, well, what is that offer? What is that all about? I want that. So I'm seeding it in their mind up front. We do see in our stats when I do this that it does keep people on longer. I like that because I think it does, you know, if you're not mentioning it up front, it becomes a bit like the elephant in the room, you know, and you get so nervous as a presenter where it's like, oh, how am I going to transition now to talking about my paid program? But, you know, mentioning it throughout, dropping a few hints to it, letting people know up front that there is a program that people can join if they're interested in learning more are all excellent suggestions. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And I suppose as you're talking about like that transition into the sales pitch, it's just so important. And some things that I'm just seeing is when I watch training, I see educators are often so comfortable in their content, hopefully, that when they're doing the training elements, they are so comfortable and they're just rattling it off. And then sometimes like 
coming around to the pitch, they have a script. And now you can see so clearly the change in their tone, the change in the speed of their voice, the fact that they're reading something. It, it comes across almost a little bit unsettling to the listener. And so to practice that transition is so important and just to practice, practice, practice. So that's something that I'm just doing to like make sure that when I switch from the training, which I myself am super comfortable with, and then my offer is scripted or the scripts are actually on the screen in the slide so they can read along with me and that helps them to keep engaged. But I do practice that like loads and loads so it doesn't come across and I'm just reading it so that it is something that is super natural to me. And then what do you do outside of those live launches? What do you do with that live webinar recording? Do you turn that live recording into an evergreen webinar? Because your program is open year round from what I can see. So do you make use of the live recording or you re-record an evergreen version? So some people would say that the smart thing to do would be to repurpose the live version as the evergreen. But because so many people are doing webinars, like I think that the audiences are wising up to the fact that there's so many pre-recorded training programs out there. And so I'm very clear, like when people are watching my Evergreen, I'm never trying to pretend that it's live. And similarly, when it's live, I'm telling people that it's live because there's still people who like say, like I'm saying it's live. And then in the comments, I can see people saying, yeah, right, this is pre-recorded. So then I'll call them out. So I was like, hey, Jason, yeah, it's live. Or I'll reference something that happened, uh, current affairs or the weather outside, or I'll say the date. And I do that intentionally so that people are comfortable with the fact that this is indeed live and that I haven't just tried to, I don't know, people feel crooked if I've said it's live and it's not live. So I'm very specific about the fact this is live. And that makes it unusable. Um, I can't repurpose that into an evergreen, unfortunately. I guess you could say if you want to listen to our recent webinar here's the recorded version that happened in august i suppose you could say that that's how i'm doing it and maybe i should try a different way but i like doing that also doing it live is quite fun also doing the evergreen it's a little bit different in terms of how i deliver it because the time expiring bonuses are easier to do when it's live because we just know what time on the clock it is whereas some very cool tools like we use with deadline funnel on the evergreen it's not as seamless. So we can't figure out exactly how we can allocate the time expiring bonuses. So we can do certain things in a live situation that we can't do in an evergreen situation. And then also the Q&A. If I were to do like a two hour Q&A at the end of an evergreen, I think I might lose people to that because the energy isn't quite the same. But also with the evergreen, we do add Q&A at the end, but the questions that come up are my own. Like I know what objections are coming up so I just bring up those as questions and then answer those. So it's really just a Q&A in the evergreen is like 15, 20 minutes of me debunking objections and then moving on to the call to action again. Say, so, okay, if you haven't yet done it, then please do click through to the sales page. And for those people who are putting together a webinar, the webinars that you watch, someone's going to screw it up. Like where do you see that people make the most mistakes with delivering a live webinar? Well, we've touched on a few of them already. You know, like spending way too much time on their credibility is you're just going to have people dropping off because they get bored or they're not getting to the training. So the training is important. So another point is to deliver value, to make sure that people who came there to learn are learning. Because one thing is that they're going to feel a bit cheated if they sacrificed an hour or two hours of their day and they didn't learn enough or it was just wishy-washy stuff that they could have got anywhere else. And also, if you aren't really impressing them with your skills and your ability to train them, then they aren't quite likely to buy your stuff. So you've got to deliver tons and tons of value. We spoke about reading a, a pitch like a script. So we want to practice as much as we can. Another thing is nerves. People who are nervous, like, it comes across as unsettling. And where I see this the most is when somebody gets to the price of their program. You know, now it's time to unveil the price. How much is it going to be? And then they go into a squeaky voice and you can hear that they kind of think maybe people shouldn't buy it or nobody's going to buy from me. And so there again, like I spend a lot of time practicing the delivery of my pitch, keep a low tone of voice. And even uh, when my camera's live, I'm nodding to like acknowledge the fact that this is a good deal and that I'm delivering it well. So I find delivering of the pitch and the offer and the price is just so crucial. And some people get really nervous and rush through it. But you really want to spend some time there and confidently deliver the fact that this is a good deal because you want people to buy it. And you know that this is going to positively impact them. 
It's definitely difficult to convince people that your offer is a good deal if you don't truly believe it. You know, you have to really believe that your offer is going to help people. Yeah, absolutely. And just one other thing that's coming to my mind right now is the call to action. Sometimes people say, you know, check the link. And then that's it. You know, then they, they kind of move on to Q&A. Whereas you really want to kind of give people an incentive with a bonus to click the link and to repeat it many times and to say it in different ways and to say, click the link because it's going to transform your life or to click the link because this is going to deliver so much value and to really just repeat it time and time again, instead of like skimming over the price and the call to action. All right, well, let's change gears and move on to a bit of discussion around marketing. So when you're putting together a live launch, what is your favorite strategy for getting registrants into your webinars? Is it ads? Is it affiliates? You know, how do you go about it? Yeah, so both. Um, I'm a big fan of affiliates. In 2019, I went to LaunchCon and I, I heard Dean Graziosi's talk there where he had just done the first launch with Tony Robbins where they had absolutely annihilated all records with an, a launch where they didn't really have a suitable audience for their own offer that they were putting out, yet they had a $30 million launch. And most of that, the vast majority of that revenue came from affiliate partners. And so the, what he said on stage there was that they did two launches. They did a launch for their affiliates and they did a launch for their audience. And the affiliate launched training people on the program and how to deliver it and giving swipe copy and making sure that people understand the calendar of when to send what and when not to send what was just so important. And I came back from that conference in America, came back to South Africa. And in early 2020, I started putting together our next launch for my course. And I was going all in on affiliates. I'm like, I'm listening to Dean Graziosi. I'm doing this. And we had so many amazing affiliates sign up. And the launch date coincided. It was at the end of March. And I couldn't have picked a worse date or possibly a better date because the day of my launch of Cart Open was the first day of lockdown in our country. And I thought this is going to be a disaster or it could be amazing. But all of my affiliates actually came back to me and they said, this is a perfect program to be launching right now. Everybody's going to be stuck at home. They're looking for alternative ways to generate income. And this is going to be perfect. And all my affiliates got right on board. And we had at the time, not just our biggest launch, but by three times in terms of our biggest launch prior to that, thanks to the affiliates. So we are doing paid ads. We're doing affiliates. We have built a substantial email database ourselves. And we're going on all three of those avenues, our organic traffic, our paid traffic and our partner traffic. We have very specific strategies for dialing in all three of those as we go into any one of our live launches. And so for me, it's not one or the other, it's all three, paid, partner and affiliates. I think so many people are underutilizing the potential of affiliates and partners. You know, for a lot of us, we start with no list and then it comes to launch time and we haven't really given ourselves enough time to grow an audience. We don't know anything about affiliates or getting partners on board. So we turn to paid ads and paid ads really do take quite some time to perfect usually. So it's not uncommon that I speak to my students and they feel like they just threw money down the drain when they put it into paid ads. So how do you go about your paid ad strategy? Yeah, so we are also revisiting it because we certainly haven't thrown money down the drain. It's worked very well for us in the past, yet, as everybody's saying, it's just the cost is going up and up and up. So we're looking for alternatives. But what has worked really well for us in the past is meta ads, Facebook and Instagram. It's worked incredibly well. So our launches, we spent in our last launch, we did $17,000 for the launch in terms of our ad budget. And we've been doing Facebook and Instagram, but lately we are definitely leaning into TikTok and YouTube ads. YouTube ads are a little bit difficult to get right for a for a runway that changes, like in terms of the, the pre-launch content. And uh, we're figuring out how that can work for us. But we are totally looking at alternatives to see what we can do. Because the other thing is that the pixel data for Facebook and Instagram in most places has become so unreliable that to put your ad spend into that is really difficult. So one of the great things that has worked in our favor is that after starting in 2017, from day one, Having been in e-commerce for so many years, I understood the value of building a database and a list. And when I started in Sarka with training e-commerce, I knew that that was going to be the sustainability factor for the business. And so we've been able to build an email list of, of about 58,000 people now. And when we are doing a launch, we have a sizable database. Of course, we segment it as much as we can, but we aren't just relying on paid ads. And so for anybody, whether you're just starting 
or you have a list already, just keep building that list. Like something that I tell my students from an e-commerce perspective, but it's no different here. For me, the future growth of your, of your online business can be determined by the current growth of your email list. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And that's why we are continually building our email list every single day so that we've always got new people to deal with and to talk to. And your, your email list really is one of the digital assets that you truly own, whereas so many other platforms, you're paying to be there and you're playing in somebody else's sandpit. And those rules can change, just like Facebook has changed now. It's like cost per lead has gone up, whereas your email list is yours. If you're not enjoying the email provider that you're working with at the moment, then you can switch to another one and you own that asset. And there's actually very little digital assets that you actually truly own when it comes to online businesses. So for me, that's a major, major focus point. Have you experimented at all with Google ads? Because I feel for your niche, so many people would be going to Google, you know, especially South Africans struggling with issues like how to accept, you know, payments. Um, so we do run Google ads, but the thing is that with it being an intent-based advertising platform, we need somebody to type in a term like what you've just said in the time of our runway or our launch. And we need to get them into the runway at the correct time, at the right, like at the top of the funnel and bring them through a journey of education so that they are kind of teed up to purchase. And if we're solely relying on Google ads, which are time-based, we need somebody to type something in to find us, then it doesn't work all that well for us. But what we do is we do run a lot of Google ads around our program. So during the launch, we run ads on our brand name and on our course name and on terms like Warwick Kearns, is he legit or something like that? And reviews of our course, because people are typing those phrases in and we want to send them to very specific pages so that they are getting the answer that we want them to get. And yes, to also answer that question, I am also legit. <laughs> in case that's leaving a question mark in anybody's mind. <laughs> I like it. I think that's very strategic what you're doing and not something I'd considered doing before. So I'm off to do that ahead of my next launch. Thank Excellent. you. Wonderful. <laughs> now, you know, when I run Facebook ads, I do find that getting webinar registrants or challenge registrants, I find similar. I do find that that cost per lead or registrant to be quite high. Do you know roughly what you pay for a webinar registrant? Ah, uh, yes. So for our webinar, let me just uh, give me a give me a sec here. So our cost per lead is nine dollars fourteen cents, and that we actually have a combined cost per lead because we have all of our pre-launch content okay. that we're paying ads for and getting people into and the segmented audience within our Facebook ads, and then we are advertising to them again to get them to register. And so we're not just tracking the value of the cost per lead when they click the final ad to register, but rather we're doing a total cost per lead with the early content, like the thought leadership pieces. And so that's where we get to $9.14. Got it. And you've got like a, a sizable ads budget, let's just say around 17000 bucks. How many registrants would you expect for that on your live webinar? So we had just under 1,900 um, registrants, mm -hmm. which was lower than what we were targeting, but our cost per lead was higher than usual. So our budget got exhausted a bit earlier, but we were still happy with that because we know our numbers and we know that it'll convert at a good amount. All right, so let's talk about the cost of acquisition. Do you know roughly what it costs you to get somebody into your membership? Because usually, you know, that's quite a high figure and your membership is only, if I, you know, converted the numbers correctly, it's about 35 US dollars a month. So I was thinking as I plotted this out, perhaps Warwick doesn't actually break even in month one. Maybe it's like month three or four where they start to make a profit. Well, you're seeing some of our secret sauce here because this is the beautiful thing about memberships in particular is that you have the recurring revenue. And once you've run it for a, a while, you get to understand your numbers and people, everybody's got to know your numbers. And uh, we do know that on average, our members stay for an, on average 8.5 months. So we aren't just trying to break even on that first sale on the first month's enrollment fee, because if we were, then we would really have to limit our budget, which would limit our reach, which would limit the enrollments, which would actually lead to less revenue. So you actually spot on, you, you've seen straight through me, we do make a loss on our launch, but we make a profit further down the line and we make a good profit because we understand our numbers. And this is actually a really important point for somebody who's looking at their ad spend and their budget and trying to see, well, I can't afford this. If you can understand the value of lifetime value, then it really speaks to the fact that you can outplay and outsmart your competitors the competitors who are looking at their budget and trying to break even on their launch, because that's where you can limit yourself somewhat. Yes, we are making a loss on our launch, but we're making money further down the line because we know our numbers. 
And if anybody's hesitant to, to put money in because they aren't breaking even on their ads, provided you have a re recurring model and you can learn your numbers over time if you're just starting or if you've got numbers, go and see what your lifetime value is because that's how you can start to outbid your competitors knowing that you'll make money further down the line. And this is actually something that I teach in e-commerce too. If somebody is selling a product that is recurring, then don't worry about breaking even on that first sale. Purchase the customer and then you'll make your money further down the line. And that's also where building your email list becomes so important because you've got more customers up front. And if you understand how much you're going to earn per lead further down the road, then you can put budget into advertising your lead chance just to build your list, knowing that you can make money later on. Excellent advice. I noticed when I was watching your Evergreen webinar, I'm not sure if this is something you also do with the live, but it looked as though you sort of position a downsell alongside your membership. You know, for those people who aren't quite ready to go into the membership, you offer an audit checklist. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that's like a good price anchoring strategy that actually converts more people into the membership. So we do have a downsell, but it's a little bit different in, in the way that you described our downsell is sent to the non-buyers after the whole cart close has come and gone. So that downsell, we do a one rand, or we can call it a $1 trial for 14 days access to our membership. We get on average in the last launch, we had 21% of our total sales were downsells. So totally worth doing. Now, going back to that audit that you mentioned, this is a slightly advanced strategy in terms of a webinar launch, and it's very nuanced. So I wouldn't recommend anybody do this for their first rodeo. But this concept actually comes from a coach that both you and I have worked with called James Wedmore. And it's his concept called the football phone. Now, the way he explains it is pretty easy to understand. And the football phone was something that was created by Sports Illustrated magazine. When their sales were tanking, nobody was buying subscriptions of their magazine. And they did an above-the-line advertising campaign for a, an American football, which had a phone in it. You could kind of open it up and there was a telephone inside the football. And people loved it and they were advertising it everywhere. And there was a lot of hype and a lot of social media around it. And everybody wanted this football phone. And they said, where can we buy it? And the answer was, well, you can't buy it. But if you get a membership, a subscription to the Sports Illustrated magazine, we'll give you the football phone for free. And suddenly the membership and subscription of Sports Illustrated went right back up through the roof. Everybody wanted this football phone. And so how can we use that in our launches? Well, as I get into my offer, I don't actually mention my membership initially. I go into a pitch for what you've pointed out as being the e-commerce audit. Now, this audit is actually what I've teased throughout my training. And people really want it. It's, it's an amazing little thing. I'll, I'll just tell you. It's, it's amazing. It helps people to increase the sales on their website without getting any more traffic. So it's a no-brainer. And I price it at about $300. And at that price point, I think people are saying, well, it's, it's kind of worth it, but I don't know if I'm going to buy it. And then I, I pivot entirely. So once I've teed up the value of this football phone, in my case, the e-commerce audit cheat sheet, I then pivot and I say, look, as a coach who really wants you to have all of the tools in order to be successful in the e-commerce world, I want to make sure that I give you everything, everything that you need. And everything that you need is actually in a different offer of mine. It's my membership. And I go into the offer of that. And when you join my membership, which is only $35, I'm actually going to give you the e-commerce audit absolutely free. So if you want that, normally it's $300. If you join the membership, then that's a freebie that all of our members get together with everything else. And then I unpack all the other value inside the membership. And then they just see, well, this is just a piece of the puzzle. I really wanted that. Now I can get it for free for just $35 when I join the membership. And it works really, really well to build a desire for something that people really want. It's really valuable. And then to swing completely the other way and say, well, you can get that for free if you just join our membership. I love it. And, you know, only $35, cancel any time, except I happen to know that you're probably going to stay for eight and a half months and this is going to pay off in the long run. Absolutely. And it works. So it works really well for us. During your live launches, do you add in any extra elements to sort of boost that launch juice? I mean, do people also get invited to a... A Facebook group or anything else you might see in other people's live launches? So Facebook group, yes, we offer that to both the live and the evergreen, but we do have specific bonuses that are offered to people who are in the live launch. And again, I mentioned earlier that these are some things that we can do, which like unique deadline final countdown timers can't do so much. 
So we definitely do this. And one of the things I do is when I make the offer, when I give the call to action, say click the sales page, then along with that, I give a fast action bonus, which is to say something along the lines, I don't remember the bonus, but it says, if you join in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to give you this amazing bonus. So that's really the people who are hot and chomping at the bit to get in. That's to help convert them. So they then go to the sales page. They want that extra bonus. It's just that little bit extra incentive to get them to say yes. And that works really well. We see our inbox, like the sales just start flowing, which is amazing. So that's the first thing. Now, what we also do is in a live launch situation, the first email announcing the cart open to the rest of our segmented audience, that goes out at 9 a.m. the next day. And I tell people in the webinar, look, if you join before 9 a.m. tomorrow, when the rest of, of South Africa finds out that enrollment is open, I'm going to give you this other bonus. So 9 a.m. tomorrow is your cutoff for this bonus. And if we're still within 20 minutes, because I tease this 20 minute thing, I'm like, look, there's a few minutes left. You can still get this other bonus too. So we tease that quite a lot. And those two things do work. We see before 20 minutes is up, we've had a ton of sales. Before 9 a.m. the next morning, we get a ton of sales. And also what we kind of do. The people who stay on to the webinar, you know, those people who are hanging on all the way to the end, like an hour and a half, two hours of questions, I then offer them that fast action bonus. I'm like, you know, just a thank you. If you join now, everybody who's joined up until the time that this webinar is done, I'm going to give you that bonus. So just to help convert them, because we know that they are eager. They really want it. They're so keen. And then while we're on this topic of kind of live launches and the timing of it, another thing that works really well for us is our time frame. Our time frame really works. The Monday is a webinar, Tuesday is cart open, Thursday is cart close, Thursday midnight. So it's really quick. What I do is because of the fact that we know that people who attend the webinar are far more likely to convert, we host a second webinar on the Tuesday night. And that is also live. And what I do is we pull out the list of people who registered but didn't yet attend. And we send that segmented audience an email to say, look, life happens. Maybe your kids interrupted your ability to watch or something happened in in our country we also have something called load shedding where sometimes you have electricity and sometimes you don't um, it's a thing and so we call out all those factors and we say look if you couldn't make it last night for those of you who couldn't make it i'm going to go live again tonight and i do it again all over and i do the whole pitch from start to finish and the attendance is obviously way less but the conversion again on the live webinars the people who attend are far more likely to buy and so that's something that we've tried once or twice years ago. And now we just do, we do it every single time because it works really, really well. I think that's an excellent strategy. And I work with, you know, so many people who are just determined to, when they come to their live launch, especially, you know, first time they've ever run a webinar and they want to offer straight off the bat, three different live webinars, you know, first time they've ever run it. And I always think, oh, just go all in on one, you know, otherwise you're going to end up with just these little groups spread out over the course of a week. Whereas I think it's much easier as the organizer to just focus all your energy on getting the registrants for that one date and time. But then of course you do have so many people who register and they can't actually make it because they've double booked themselves. And then you've got this captive audience that you can retarget to get along to that sort of secret second webinar. Yes, I love it. The secret second webinar. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, do you happen to know what the conversion is on your evergreen webinars versus your live webinars? Do they both convert like crazy? Yeah. So I actually double checked the numbers before our conversation uh, in case you asked this question. And on the live webinars, we're seeing a conversion of 7.1%. And on the evergreen, it's slightly less at 58 So it's not too much lower, which is good. Still amazing. I know. Makes me kind of wonder why we don't just focus on the evergreen. But the live, people like the live. And we do a big, we do a lot of hoo-ha around it. Like we do all the affiliate stuff. We do paid advertising. We really bombard our email list. So it's a good way to get people in when they weren't actually just going for the evergreen. And you've only got a very, I mean, it is a short cart open window. A lot of people find even five days too short. Like when I talk to my students, I say three to five days is perfect. Like any longer than that, you get bored of writing and reading your own emails and everyone else gets bored of hearing about it. Like they really have made up their mind usually within a couple of days. Once your live launch is done, do you transition immediately back into evergreen sales or is there sort of a period of time where people can't get into the membership and you're sort of creating a bit of FOMO around your live launch? 
Yeah, so we kind of tee it up as a fact that we only open enrollment publicly once a year. So that's something I say time and time again. And if somebody sends us an email saying, I really want to join your membership, our answer is not right now, but here's a webinar or here's a link to some free training, which will help you to understand what it's all about. Because I know that somebody who says they want to join, I don't know if you ever get this. We get like people say, I want to join, and then we send them a link to buy, and they're like, you know, it's crickets. So our answer is like, it's only open once a year publicly. And I use that word publicly so that there's no comeback in case they say, well, that was available. Because we say, well, that was private just for you. So we're constantly directing people through to the Evergreen outside of a live launch. But we do absolutely turn off ad spend six weeks before a live launch and for about four to five weeks afterwards. We just do that so that people aren't seeing our ads time and time again, you know, ad fatigue where they're seeing the same pictures, same copy or same offer. And so we definitely want to dial it back. So the Evergreen doesn't shut down because we do send people directly to it. But we do one annual launch, the live launch. And then the Evergreen is just kind of running in the background. And it's great. You know, we see sales ticking over every single day, hopefully every day, most days. And um, it's just so wonderful to see that because we know that it's helping people. You know, this business is a feel-good business, you know. We're building a business which is wonderful to run, but it's also having a great impact. And if you're helping people and you're helping them to help themselves, it's just such a good feel-good business. I agree with you. What we do is very similar, you know. One of my favorite programs is teaching the Kajabi specialists, and they can then go out and create businesses for themselves. It does fill you with so much joy to be able to see what lives people are creating for themselves with the training that you're giving. Absolutely. I did a one-on-one coaching with somebody today and, and they've been a student of mine since 2020. And they said that before finding our training, they actually weren't that interested in e-commerce, but they just saw the opportunity, you know, it was COVID time and they enrolled in my program to see what it was all about. And kind of hesitantly, they followed the steps and they built a business. And last year they did their first uh, 1 million rand year. And it's a side hustle for them. So a million rand is about, uh, I call it uh, $80,000. And that's pretty decent for a side hustle. And this guy is just saying, thank you so much. And when people tell me that, I mean, it, it, it does boost my ego a little bit. But more importantly, it reminds me and my team why we're doing what we do. Because, you know, going back to why I started this business in the first place, people have problems and they have challenges. And either they can go through the very lengthy learning curve that I had to go through, or they can really en- enroll into our training program and just accelerate their own success. And it does work and it does help them. And I just love hearing those testimonials and those stories from people because it does change their lives. You have shared so much actionable stuff with us today, Warwick. I'm sure all our listeners are all off to go and put into place everything you've shared as far as live webinars goes. Now, I've got one last question for you, and it's around your tech stack. Now, I'm thinking, because you're on the Kajabiverse podcast, that you're a Kajabi user. If you're not, I won't be able to publish this episode. But as well as Kajabi, what else do you use to make these live webinars work? So you'll be pleased to know that we are all in on Kajabi. I'm like a hashtag Kajabi fan. And I tell everybody who's coming into this industry that this is a platform for you. And I really believe that. It's just everything in one. Previously, I was on some WordPress plugin that I had everything stuck together with sticky tape. And uh, it was a disaster and such a pain to run. And uh, when we moved across to Kajabi, it was like a breath of fresh air and a weight off my shoulders. And it, it just worked. And it was easy. And it was just like, I didn't have to worry about Zapier Zaps and like understanding what that all meant. And so I'm very pleased to let you know that we run our entire business on Kajabi, except for our webinars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So in terms of our tech stack, we run different tech for the live and the evergreen. So for the live, we do all of our emails through Kajabi and we specifically using Kajabi events. So when people register, they go into an event and all the comms are handled through that event. And we're tagging people depending on whether they click or not. We're really using those events as thoroughly as we can. But the webinar itself, we are directing people to through to Webinar Jam. This is for the live. And interestingly, with Webinar Jam, normally people would get people to register for the webinar on Webinar Jam. But then you're losing the value that Kajabi offers you in terms of being able to tag people and manage a conversation and send the emails that you want to send. So there's an alternative with Webinar Jam where you can send people straight to the page where they just arrived for the webinar and there's a countdown timer. So we only share that link on the afternoon of the webinar and that's the only time. So they don't have to register there. They've already registered on Kajabi and we do all of our comms through that. At the end of that, we do then export the list of attendees and compare it against the registrations to get that secret Tuesday list 
So the people who registered but didn't attend, we then invite them to the secret Tuesday webinar. So that's for the live. Now, the evergreen is slightly more complex, and I actually had to ask my techie guy to remind me of all the tech that we use because it's a lot. So we do use Kajabi for our sales page. That's what we're using Kajabi for. For the webinar, we're using Easy Webinar together with Active Campaign for emails. And those emails are specifically used because they sync nicely with Easy Webinar in terms of some actions that people can take. And they also connect into Deadline Funnel. So Deadline Funnel is the unique countdown timers, which we also have on the Kajabi sales page. But then the Deadline Funnel can also trigger specific actions within the email sequence that we're sending out from Active Campaign. So that's how that's all working. Now, there is Xavier that's doing something. I don't actually know what it's doing. I'll have to check with my tech guy again. And then the final tech piece that we're using is a little cool thing called Add Event. Now, Add Event, we put into the registration email. So when people register, they get an email. And it says, please click this Add Event button to put it into your Google Calendar or your Apple Calendar so that it is actually booked into their calendar and they can see it there. And that we see also helps to get attendance rates much higher. Mm. With the live webinar and Webinar Jam, if you're collecting the registrations through Kajabi, how does Webinar Jam know who stayed on to the end, like for the long Q&A that you did at the end, if they don't have the names? Ah, good, good. Okay, so you got me there. So when they land on that page, they're not registering for the webinar, but they do have to put their email address just to say who's attending. So that's how we can then, um, that's our check and balance to, to filter out who attended. Okay, gotcha. Perfect. Oh, I like it because, you know, most of us would just turn to Zoom, but I don't know of a way inside of Zoom to be able to determine at the end, you know, who stayed to the end and should be given the special offer. Yes, good point, Joe. So that's what we're using. And I know that there's thousands of different options, but that's what's working for us. And like I mentioned before, if it isn't broken, I'm not going to fix it. I'm always open to exploring alternatives, but this is what's working for us. Thank you so much, Warwick, for coming in and sharing all this valuable information with us. You've given us plenty of actionable tips that we can go away and put into action. Now, for people who would like to connect with you and perhaps even learn more about your e-commerce membership, especially if they're down in South Africa, I'll definitely link to your Evergreen webinar below so they can go and see the private invitation, not the publicly available invitation into your membership. But when is the next live launch coming up for you guys? So it's once a year, and this year we scheduled for August 28th. So that's going to be our once per year annual live launch. All right, August 28th, not long to wait, guys. In the meantime, go and have a look at Warwick's Evergreen webinar. Check his style out. It's converting like crazy, and we have absolutely loved having you on the show. Thank you so much, and hopefully you'll come back in and have another chat with us after the next live launch. A bit of a debrief, Warwick, to let us know what went well and maybe where you'd like to improve any lessons learned for the next time. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, We will see you later on in the year. Thanks, Warwick. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our podcast episode on live webinar funnels as a strategy for enrolling into everything from signature courses to low-priced memberships even if that means that you don't break even on your ad spend in month one. Now, one of the big takeaways for me today was Warwick's strategy around downsells. For those people who don't join his membership during the live launch, he offers a $1 14-day trial, and 21% of his new member signups are attributed to that downsell, which is absolutely incredible. So that's definitely something to consider when you're next doing your launch. If you'd like to learn more about Warwick and his e-commerce membership, e-commerce next level, I'm going to link to his evergreen webinar below. And if you'd like to learn the step-by-step of building out your own live webinar funnel over on the Kajabi platform, be sure to head on over to megburridge.com forward slash funnel club and join us on the next live masterclass.